and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. Welcome back. Another edition of Toronto Till I Die, the podcast. There's uh we're down a couple men today, just like Toronto FC, I guess, were last night. We're missing no missing Mitchell Tierney and our main man Jeffrey P. Nesker, but we've made a call to the bench bringing in super sub Anthony Corey. Anthony, what's going on, my guy? Straight from the reserves. I'm good, man. Yeah, it's great to be back on here. I think it's been almost a year since my last uh, pod uh, appearance. So, yeah, pleasure to be here and pleasure to talk some TFC. Well, pleasure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, luxury <laughs> that we have to bring such a talented reserve off the bench. Um, TFC, you know, they don't they don't have that luxury right now. They're a little bit weak in, in sort of depth, um, something that we'll dive into more on this show. We're also going to talk about Ralph Preso. Um, maybe the level of concern after three straight losses for TFC. We'll dive into some Carlos Salcedo because he's, of course, been a hot topic. And then the injury report, which is something uh, we really haven't been able, we haven't had to do too much on this show this season, but it's a bit of a lengthy one right now. So we'll we'll talk about all of that. But first, Anthony, managing editor of Wake in the Red. How does How does that sound, man? Honestly, I think a year ago when I was just contributing to the website, I wouldn't think I'd be in this position. So I guess it just, you know, goes to show what, you know, hard work and dedication can can do for you if you, you know, put your all in it. And yeah, it's just, it's an absolute privilege to be able to cover this club and to work with such talented people. And yeah, you know, I can't thank you and, you know, all the OGs enough for giving me the opportunity last year. And yeah, here I am. Yeah, no, of course. And as you said, like hard work pays off. The site is in a very good place right now, and you can't really fake that authentic love and authentic feel for for the game and for the passion for this club, and that's translating so far in your work. And I'm excited, to, I guess, to see where where the site goes. But we got to shift gears right now. We got to talk some TFC, <laughs> and it's kind of unfortunate we're talking about them in this light because I don't think any of us really expected to be here. We were licking our lips before the start of last week looking ahead at the horizon of what's what's the comfort TFC and two two games against FC Cincinnati who were in last place in the Eastern Conference before this weekend but back-to-back losses for Toronto FC so I guess let's start first Anthony with with the match over the weekend 2-1 loss do you have any sort of takeaways from that game I know you were at the press box in that game yeah I mean Honestly, after that result, I was, you know, disappointed, of course, but I figured it was, you know, just a simple bump in the road. And I think a lot of people do need to understand that this is, you know, it's a rebuilding year. It's a transitionary year for the club. Host of new players in, host of players out, as we as we saw um, in the offseason. And I think as Bob also put it in this press conference, is like these ups and downs are going to come in a year like this. And he's still adjusting a lot of the new players are still adjusting uh, we haven't really seen the consistency in the lineups that we would have liked to especially over the last few weeks as we're going to talk about with injuries and stuff but um yeah obviously the result was disappointing after i would say a valiant end to the new york city fc game um you know 
we didn't want to concede five unanswered goals, but to, to rally at the end was, you know, it showed heart, it showed character. Um, and obviously the response, it wasn't what we wanted to get out of, out of the players, especially at home against Cincinnati. And we haven't had the best of luck against them over the last now year or so. One, one out of, I believe, five encounters with them. So yeah, our um, losses. Yeah. Um, those are the games you do need to win, especially at home. And I know we're going to talk about yesterday's result too, but uh, it just, you know, a bit, a bit of insult to injury, I would say. And I would have expected a better response yesterday, but given the circumstances, no, I'm obviously no going to talk intended about there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended there. Yeah, for sure. And I think you said something that was really, really good there. And it's about that response. And it, it just wasn't there uh, following the game from New York City FC. And it seemed like even even in that New York game, it seemed like TFC were still trending in the right direction. They came away after that game and, and multiple people said, Shane O'Neill, Bob Bradley, others said it was the toughest game that they have had all season. That was the best team they faced all season. Shifting gears now to Cincinnati. Probably the worst team they faced all season. Maybe DC United uh, might give them a run for that money. But nevertheless, it's it's still disappointing after getting off to such a, a strong start. You're hoping to build off that, but it feels like they took a couple steps back in, in both of these matches. But yeah, let's let's dive into to Wednesday's result. Yesterday's result... I would start with Ralph Preso with what happened there. But I think first, TFC conceded once again. I mean, maybe we would have some, yeah, maybe we have a little bit of PTSD from last season, but they conceded early, a uh, minute and 20 seconds in, I believe it was, where they fell behind. And looking at the goal itself, it was a simple little through ball that maybe caught Lucas McDonald sleeping a little bit. I thought he was a little bit too nonchalant on the play. And all of a sudden, Cincinnati have a two on zero in on net, and of course they they made him pay. What was your initial reaction to sort of that goal? And I, I guess I don't want to say the response of TFC, but what was just I guess your initial reaction to falling behind so early? Yeah, I feel like I've been saying "fool me once, uh, shame on you; fool me twice, you obviously know, know the saying." Uh, but you know the fact that it's happening almost week in week out is is alarming to say the least um you know you want to come out into these games hungry you know firing your belly and again yesterday was another case where it didn't happen obviously you are playing on the road and we'll get to our away form in a bit but uh to come out like that and to you know concede a goal with an avoidable goal due to a bit of lackluster defending is unacceptable and you know, we can talk that, you know, maybe early in this season, but, you know, 10 games in, almost a third of the way through, those are mistakes which, you know, are could cost you games. And it obviously cost us yesterday. A drop in morale at the second minute is unideal and not what we want to see from these guys, especially for the young team that was out yesterday. And four minutes later, it got worse. It got, it got, it did get worse there. And let's, uh, let's dive into Ralph Preso now. Um, as you mentioned, about fourth minute, he got sent off actually technically in the sixth, but it was after a video review. Ball gets a little bit of a scramble play in the midfield. Ball gets past Preso. He lunges at it instead of maybe uh, moving his feet a little bit better. He decides to lunge at it. I don't think he really anticipated how far away the the ball was and the player, the Cincinnati designated player there, 
And of course, it was a high tackle. Man, that was Ralph Priestel's first start of the season. So is there anyone on Toronto FC right now who has had a rougher start to the year than our guy Ralph Priestel? I don't I really don't think so. And I, I do feel for the kid coming off of a long like long term injury last year and his breakthrough season. I thought he was one of the standout players last year. You know, in a year of many he was. Moves, he was one of he was one of the one of the bright sparks. And he had played forty five minutes total before yesterday. And I mean, he's still so young and obviously it comes with experience and when to time your challenges and everything. But uh, I think this is going to be a character building moment for him. And he's obviously going to have to sit out of uh, the Vancouver game, which he probably would have started again, given uh, the injury troubles we're going through. But he should have a fire in his belly in the next couple of weeks to work hard in training and get back in the team and, you know, showcase that he's able to build off of last season and, you know, again, stake his claim to Bob Bradley that he deserves to be a first-team regular. Yeah, I've been saying in the chat, we'll be curious to see how Bob responds to Preso, the Preso Red. Um, well, just, just speaking to Bob last night, of course, he was asked the question, and his overall response was just that Preso came in right away and apologized. He said, look, Preso is is a good guy. Um, and that they've worked on sort of that exact moment. They've challenged him to improve that sort of that exact moment. So those kind of things don't happen where he leaves his feet a little bit too early in the midfield. Um, one thing we've praised Ralph Preso for in the past is his composure on the ball. But now under Bradley, which by the way is Preso's fourth coach in two seasons, which I think is absolutely absurd because as a young player, you're trying to win over your coach every single time you got to prove yourself to your coach every single time. And he did so with Greg Vanny. He did so with Chris Armas. He did so with Javier Perez. And now he's got to start sort of at, at ground zero here and do so once again with Bob Bradley. And as you mentioned, the start of the season was sort of a, a slow start for him. So they're under Bradley. Now he's challenging him to kind of be a little bit quicker in the midfield, think the game a little bit quicker which, you know, of course, you want every young player to improve. And Bradley, uh, with the amount of experience that he has, sees that Preso can do that. You got to trust Bradley in sort of that spot. So to sort of sum that all up, it's it's been a really tough 10 months for Preso because if you think back to his injury, it's on a play that never should have happened. It was on a play that should have been blown down offside, but yet Preso finishes off that that track back and ultimately ends up injuring his ankle, costing him the rest of the season, comes into the start of this season. He's healthy. He's in preseason. He looks good lining up next to Noble Okello in the games that we saw. Struggles to sort of break into the first team, and then he actually suffers another injury that sort of flew under the radar that kept him out two games. So even in this match, although he started, he wasn't ready to go the full 90 minutes. So it's just, it's been tough break after tough break for Ralph Preso. And it's kind of ironic. And that's why I tweeted it earlier in my, in my story. In a year where it's been the youngsters shining, it's probably Toronto FC's brightest star in Ralph Preso that has had the toughest go early on this year. But as you mentioned, 19 years old. You gotta you gotta learn from a moment like this. I think of someone like Noble Okello last season, 
against CF Montreal. He got sent off really early in that match for a high foot against, I think, Victor Wanyama. And of course, that's just something as a youngster you're going to learn from what you can and can't do. And I also thought of, of Jaden Nelson watching by yeah. close by thinking like, oh man, I, I really did get away with one. Of course, uh, his tackle, I believe, is against the Philadelphia Union that ultimately mm-hmm. was reviewed and, and he got suspended for that. So yeah, learning moments. Obviously, this team's very young, so I, I'm I'm expecting Ralph Priestley to bounce back. It's just a bit surprising that he's had uh, a bit of a tough go to start this year. But let's yeah. let's move on now in, in our rundown and kind of let's talk. Let's spin in a little bit of a positive light. We love that best young player for you so far this season because we've seen a lot of young players get minutes. I actually think I saw a stat that said TFC leads the league, leads MLS in homegrown minutes. So you really do love to see it. You really do love. To you see do. It. The long term, like that's going to benefit all of these guys. Um, we're in a bit of a storm right now, so it's kind of tough to see see through it. But who's been the most impressive Toronto FC youngster for you, Anthony? I think without a doubt, Luca Petrasso. And a lot of it comes from the fact that he made his senior debut this year. And over the first five games of the season, he played the full ninety minutes, or his first five games of the season. I don't think he played against Dallas, yeah. but uh, from New York Red Bulls onwards to I believe NYCFC, he played. Um, yeah, he played the full games, and that's just a testament to you know the kind of player he is. He's tenacious. He's not. He was not afraid to take on players. And I remember that NYCFC game vividly, where he played with no fear, and that left side looked dangerous that day with him and Shackleberg combining. Um, and yeah, speaking to him yesterday, humble guy, and he's you know so grateful to be among players he used to watch on TV. He would say, and mm-hmm. um, I'm so excited for where this kid's going. I wouldn't be surprised if he is potentially on the radar of the men's national team in the, maybe the next few months or years or so. Uh, but uh, he's impressed me the most, and I think he's become a staple in this first team, and that's straight from the academy, which as lifelong TFC fans, you really love to see a player come up like that. You have to, you have to, yeah, you have to give it up to to Petras on what he's done. Um, the last couple of games, he's been asked to play left back, which I know Bob Bradley doesn't prefer to play in there with with Jacob Schaffelberg sidelines. So Petras has kind of been forced into that. But aside from from these two games, do you think he's plateaued a little bit from from where his start was? I think that's bound to happen. Regardless, he, he's, he's, yeah. he's getting minutes. He's getting the minutes, you know, he would only have dreamed of getting last year. And part of that could be, again, fatigue and, again, the morale of the team. But I think we can expect the plateau from him. We we can expect the plateau from everybody in this team. We saw it a bit with McNaughton, the error yesterday. And um, I really don't think it's a, a need to ring the alarm and say that he's, you know, should be out of the team or out of the lineup um, again so young like we talked about with Prizo it's going to come with experience it's going to come with game time and um yeah we'll bounce back and see another fearless performance from him definitely in the coming days coming weeks for sure i don't think there's anyone on tfc that ran more yesterday perhaps than than luca petrasso um <laughs> this guy i mean he takes corners on the right flank obviously with his in-swinging left foot tracks all the way back to left back, but just the energy overall that he brings. Um, he was a big reason, I think, why Toronto FC were able to kind of keep fighting in that match despite going down to 10 men. I think we have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that fact where the game could have got really ugly, 
but Toronto FC actually persevered and they made it somewhat close. Yeah, uh, those are the players you want in, in, in the team. Those that are able to go back and forth across the pitch. And I would say there are parts in the midfield that, that don't do that, but Petrasso is a, is a shining light in that regard. And I think the effort and the work ethic he puts in week in, week out is, you know, is exemplary. It's whatever he's like the model student right now within that team in terms of, um, you know, going up and down the pitch and, you know, regardless of how you're feeling, you're still putting in maximum effort. Yeah, exactly. And there's one thing you can't question with Petrasso. It's definitely his, his work rate, uh, which he has proven to be, second to none almost maybe Jacob Schaffelberg has a shout there but other than that I think work rate Petrasso's right up there another guy who's a student of the game and has impressed Kosi Thompson Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we acknowledge sort of what he has done so far for this Toronto FC team I mean this is a guy that was on nobody's radar at the start of the season I don't even think he was really on Bob Bradley's radar at the start of the season coming into training camp, but he's turned heads. He's impressed everybody. And I thought he was actually one of the brighter spots for Toronto FC yesterday with sort of the energy that he brought his willingness to get forward. Um, there are little things in his game that, I mean, like any young player, I'd like to see him clean up perhaps just acknowledging sort of what is around him at times, whether or not to dribble is the best play or, or to make a pass, but that's going to come with experience, but you can see a lot of good, a lot of good starting points for for Kosi Thompson. And highlight of that, of course, was the pass that he made to Jesus Jimenez a couple weeks back uh, against New York City FC, where he looked off, looked off Salcedo, looked off Pazuelo, and decided to play the long ball in behind, which was a perfect ball. Jimenez obviously going on to score. Um, so I've been really impressed with Kosi Thompson, not just his talent sort of on the pitch, but also his mentality. I mean, this guy is is bought into sort of what Bob Bradley is doing here. As, as I mentioned, not the baddest student of the game. And uh, yeah, I, I got to give him some credit. That's the, the youthful energy. That's what you want injected into this team right now. And we saw glimpses of it last year and, you know, hints of Jaquil Nelson playing uh, sporadically last year. And we're getting it in full force now. And, you know, while, while they are young, those are, that's the energy that this team needs exactly so now let's get some big picker get bigger picture questions three straight losses off the heels of an unbeaten run of four four games what's what's your level of concern right now with this toronto fc team anthony i'm not i'm not counting the alarm just yet i mean nobody wants to lose three straight before that we were unbeaten in four three wins one draw and Two, two straight losses against Cincinnati does raise concerns, but I think we I think many people just need to kind of recenter, refocus, and realize that you know this team is still adjusting to each other. And like I mentioned earlier, the fact that we haven't seen a consistent backline yet, which uh, for me is the biggest concern on the team right now, is partly why you know results, you know, games that we should be winning are not being won. And uh, a lot of it does come down to the injuries that we're going through. Obviously, COVID did play a role in the last game with Salcedo being out. But until we have consistency at the back with who's playing and who Bob Bradley can you know, rely on game in, game out, that's when I think we'll start to see the, the team come to fruition in, in true fashion. Mm-hmm. Jatinder in the chat saying two wins. 
would have put us tied for second. It's too early to be concerned. It's tight uh, in, in the East. It's really tight. We're seven points off the top, and, but also close to the bottom. So Two points. Gotta... Two points off the bottom of, of the Eastern Conference, and we've played a game more than, than everyone else. So that's something you also have to keep in mind with that. But as you mentioned, it, it's tight in the East, and that's kind of perfect for Toronto FC right now because as we've talked about a lot on this show, as sort of the consensus is around TFC Live, it's that we have to exercise patience because there's going to be help coming in the summer. This isn't what Toronto FC is going to look like throughout the season. And as I mentioned, like when when you're in the storm, it's tough to kind of see out of that. But taking sort of a step back, you have to be content, I guess, with where Toronto FC is. Uh, just a, I believe just a point outside the, the playoff race right now. The last two games, I feel like they did take a little bit of a step back, but then you also have to look at those games individually. And then you have to look at sort of what happened pre-so getting the red card. I mean, that takes you out of the game right away. Yep. There's, oh, I can't even, I can't even analyze that game anymore because four minutes in the match is essentially out of your hands there. Yeah, so, turned on its head, and that's not, you know, especially in a game where your youngsters dominate the match day squad, you know, a lot of them have never experienced that in their in their professional careers, and how to respond uh, in such matter as well, they're playing, they're playing away, and our away form over the last almost year has been um, quite abysmal, so... Yeah, I think you tweeted out a stat saying uh, TFC haven't gotten a win away from home since last July. So it's it's been a long time, and it makes it a lot tougher when you get go down a player. Graham here is saying far too many youngsters in the starting eleven and on the bench. We can't expect the team to be successful with that many youngsters. The transfer window will truly dictate what this team is for the remainder of the season. I think that's a realistic take, Graham. Um, it's what Toronto FC was doing a couple weeks back when they were beating the Philadelphia Union when they're beating New York City FC at home, I think they were overperforming. Um, and I think when you look at these Cincinnati games, I think it's safe to say they were underperforming. So I feel like the reality of what this Toronto FC team is at this current moment as currently un- constructed, it's that they're somewhere in the middle of how good they've been and how poor they've been at times. Um, we also have to acknowledge the fact that TFC was missing a number of players. They had four TFC two players out of seven on their bench on Wednesday. So, yeah, I mean, heading into Cincinnati, they might have been confident, but I wasn't confident that Toronto FC would be able to to come away with that win. And as I've mentioned so many times on the show, like we're playing with house money right now. Mm-hmm. Toronto FC is this time with the youngsters is going to be so valuable for these guys because They've now all played. They've now all played, not only played, have played a significant role. So come the summertime when they're going to be asked to, to perhaps come off the bench or when you have to rotate your squad in moments of, of this, of adversity, it's going to be really valuable to this team come the end of the year when you can pull guys like Luca Petrasso, Jacob Schaffelberg, Koshi Thompson, Jaden Nelson, guys like that, bring them off the bench and, and, bring them into the game, they can make an impact. So it's going to be really valuable to not only their development, but I think just overall 
the strength of the team. So with eight games between now and the summer transfer window, I don't believe it's possible. I might be eating my words in eight games, but I don't believe it's possible for TFC to lose their playoff spot right now between now and the summer. So with that in mind, it's great that the young players are getting playing time. It's great that in most matches they can still compete. So I'm not, I'm not concerned whatsoever right now, but it, it, we are going to have to exercise patience. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's the reality. Yeah, you can't. I, I, you can't judge this team yet after after ten games, and expectations are going to continue to grow as Insigne, Insigne's arrival looms and potential more transfers come in. But the experience that these kids are getting now, think about when they're thrown into the deep end during the business end of the season when we're you know pushing for a playoff spot. And I do believe. I don't think we're. I, I think we will be you know, pushing for a playoff spot. Hopefully we will, we will finish in that and go to the playoffs this season. I think is going to, will mark a successful campaign in my opinion, uh, in a rebuild year after a disappointing campaign last season. Um, even now, sorry. Anthony, even now, sorry to cut you off there, but even now, if you look like say fast forward, come, come September, you're in the, the 78th minute. You need to spark off the bench. You call on someone like Jaden Nelson. I'm far more comfortable now calling on Jaden Nelson than where I was at the start of this season based mm-hmm. on what he showed last year, right? He showed he's a guy now who can come in and dribble, um, take a couple guys on. Of course, you're still looking for that final product in the end third. But, I mean, you have to you have to like kind of where the direction of the, this team is going in terms of getting some of the young guys' minutes. It's something we haven't seen before here. And it's something fans aren't used to, but I do believe long term it will end up inevitably paying paying dividends for this club. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Um, next topic on our rundown here. Actually, I'm gonna go skip ahead one. So let me ask you, uh, looking ahead to sort of this summer, sort of the summer transfer window. I know you mentioned the defense briefly, but what areas? Are you seeing that Toronto FC need to need to improve upon in the summer? Which which type of players they need to go out and buy? Uh, that's a tough question for me because I mean, seeing all the seeing all these youngsters come into the first team fold, it you know it makes me question: Do we want to develop these players more and have them garner first team action throughout the season, or do we delve back into the transfer market? But I do feel like reinforcements are needed. Um, I would say, I mean, first off, I'm going to say I miss you, Mark Delgado. Um, and his work ethic. I think that's I think that's a part where we've lacked this season. And I mentioned that when I was talking about Petrasso going up and down the pitch when attacking and coming back to defend. That's uh, I think we need another another center midfielder, someone to partner Bradley or someone to complement Bradley, because I mean as we know he's in the latter stages of his career, obviously not on the pace as he used to be. So someone that can complement that and can also sit with him and just kind of protect that back line, but someone with the energy to go up and down the pitch and yeah, essentially just be that engine in the team. And, you know, I'm not expecting a season veteran to come in, but someone with, you know, someone with tenacity, someone with prowess and someone that can kind of just fill multiple spots at a time. Yeah, that's a, 
That's a fair shout. So what what I can say now is that TFC will be bringing in at least three players in the summer transfer window. Possibility of there being more. And the caliber of those players are also going to be ones that I think fans are going to be pretty pretty content with, pretty happy with. Um, it's no longer just Lorenzo and Signe coming in and being the savior for this team. I think we're at the point where these these kids, they need help. This team needs multiple players to come in and help. And with the groundwork that's being set right now, I'm excited to see kind of what that, that vision come in. It comes to what that vision looks like in the summer and see it sort of come to fruition here because I know there's a lot of frustration going on right now within the, the, the fan base particularly, but it was always going to be a long-term plan. It was never going to be this year. TFC are going to be contenders. It was never going to be that, but there is a chance that they do surprise a few people and end up being contenders, especially when you look at the, the likes of someone like a Jesus Jimenez. I think he's mm-hmm. been a pleasant surprise for this TFC team. Pozuelo looks like he's closer to 2020 than he is than he was 2021. Yeah, Jonathan Osorio is looking like the real deal once again in the middle of the park. And then, of course, we, we talked about the depth already of the squad come the summertime. So there is a there is reason for optimism. It's just about sort of getting there. I think areas that I personally would address, I'm not saying the team is going to do this, but areas I say personally would address, I think you need to bring in one more sort of center back that can be a starter. Because right now, I think Shane O'Neill is playing over his head. Um, I'm not sure if he can kind of keep this level of play he has shown in some of the games this season, if he can be consistent and relied upon to be that everyday sort of starter. Chris Mavinga, there's question marks about him. Again, I'd put him under the same boat as O'Neal. Can he do what sort of Bob Bradley is asking out of him for the length of the season? So I think you need at least one more center back in there. Yeah. Uh, Left back, for sure, in my opinion. As a natural left back, for sure. That's a position we you know, didn't really address. And like a part of me before the whole Kamar Lawrence debacle occurred, I was hopeful that he was going to be the star star on the left this season. I thought he didn't, didn't have a terrible campaign last season. Um, and, you know, Jamaica international experience. I was looking forward to him playing with the team this year under Bob, but uh, I think, yeah, as you said, a natural left back is an absolute necessity and definitely agree with the, you know, just that commanding force at the center back position and someone, yeah, who can, as I said, with um, a midfielder complimenting Bradley, someone who can compliment Salcedo and just be that kind of level headed, um, you know, mature, disciplined defender. Exactly. Exactly. And then I think, I think you also need a right winger. Um, DeAndre Kerr, Jaden Nelson, who could potentially shift over there. Achara, Maybe Io Akinola. I, I think there there's more they can get out of that position. So I think that's also something I would be keeping an eye on if I was Toronto FC and finding ways to sort of improve that spot. Um, if is Jaquil good enough to be a starting right back for for the duration of this season? I mean, he showed really positive glimpses 
early on and he's a guy you really want to exercise patience with because his ceiling is so incredibly high and I also think Caden Chung has done a pretty serviceable job uh, sliding in there when he needed to to sort of provide cover at that position so I'm not too concerned about the right back but when you go down a guy like Jaquiel then you have to wonder okay is depth perhaps an issue here because yeah. I personally don't think Kosey Thompson's a starting right back um in MLS at this time at least yeah at this time I mean this guy's asked to play so many different positions I think he can definitely contribute to a team uh, especially with his versatility I just don't I don't like him as a as a starting right back personally I think he gets beat a little bit too easily there um and a lot of people in the chat are saying the midfield which is which is really ironic you said it as well um because that's been TFC's strongest point (laughs) <laughs> through the last couple of years it's you know, they've had too many midfielders so much so that a guy like liam or liam frazier was forced kind of out of this yeah. club and did not want to come back because he couldn't get minutes but how perfect would liam frazier be on this team right oh, now man. as sort of a supplement to, to michael bradley um i would like to see more quality added into that midfield but at the same time i still am wondering i'm not writing off Noble Okello, Ralph Priso. I, I'm still wondering about those sort of guys. Can they be enough to sort of supplement the middle of the park there? And if not, then yeah, absolutely. It, it's a team. It's it's a team need. But I do think these those guys definitely are capable, especially, especially Ralph, uh, because if Ralph refines his form in last year, you can argue that he's a starter on an MLS club. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll kind of see how uh, how that plays out. Um, shout out to Ivan. P.S. I'm watching this over Europa League semis. T.O. till Love I die. It. Let's go, buddy. Shout let's, out go. let's go. Um, okay, so let's shift over a little bit and let's talk about Carlos Salcedo because every time I open my mentions on Twitter, there's always there's people yesterday and he wasn't even complaining or he wasn't even playing, complaining about Carlos Salcedo in my mentions yesterday. He wasn't even on the page. He was, he, he's obviously in health and safety protocol. It's been a really inconsistent start to the year for Salcedo. What's your level of concern with FC's P setback? I'm, I'm honestly not. I mean, obviously the inconsistency is a very valid point, but I don't think it's a bust. I'm, for me, I was that's probably the signing I was most looking forward to in the offseason, Barantini. Um, a tenacious, dogged defender. That's what we lacked last year. And the fact that he's been thrown into, you know, a new team that with other center backs who he hasn't played consistently with. I'm I would love to know how many different variations of back lines he's played with in the first over the first ten games. But I think for him he'll need to have that kind of I guess a a reliable partner first and foremost. And like you said, I don't think Shane O'Neill is that guy. And obviously Chris Mavinga has question marks all over him with regards to injury form, et cetera. So that's why, you know, the addition of a center back could be fantastic for Salcedo. I know we're only talking about this over his first 10 games for the club. And, you know, the DP status is obviously mounts more pressure. We saw that last year with, with Soteldo. You know, a lot of people talking about the inconsistency of a DP, DP. They should be performing week in, week out. It's only been 10 games in the season. I think he just needs to have a level of consistency, one, with his play, 
obviously hasn't been very disciplined as of as of as of now but um as well as his performances i think just having a reliable partner and you know someone to integrate into the team alongside him that can play week in week out yeah i mean i'm with you there like i I still think that Carlos Salcedo could go down as the best center back to ever play for this club. And that's no disrespect to Drew Moore. I just think Salcedo is perhaps a little bit more talented than Moore, but Moore obviously had that consistency and leadership that we loved out of a center back and desperately needed at the time. Um, and I think Salcedo in a similar light can play a similar role to this TFC team. His plays definitely dropped off from when he first came in. In my, in my bit, he looked like a, a ball sprayer he looked like a guy who loved being on the ball um he looked like a guy who was really getting the most out of some out of some of his other teammates uh when the season first started but his confidence has seemed to take a dip now i'm not seeing that sharpness that i saw when he first arrived i'm not seeing that confidence that i saw when he first arrived so if we can get back to sort of where he was, I, I believe, at the start of the season. I think TFC will be in a lot better shape than if this is the real Salcedo. Because if this last couple of games that we saw Salcedo is the real Salcedo, then I'm a little bit concerned. But that being said, I do believe that he's closer to the latter. I'm sorry, the former. And I do believe that Salcedo will be just fine especially when he gets some some support to to play beside. And that's no disrespect to Shane O'Neill or, or Chris Pavinga because Shane wasn't brought in here to be a starting center back for TFC. He's taken that role and he's done very well with it, in my opinion. Uh, against Cincinnati, he is probably one of the best players on the pitch. You think about all the, the well-timed tackles that he made and especially playing about against or alongside someone who's not as experienced in MLS like Lucas, like Shane showed that he can definitely step up and, and be a real leader. So we'll see kind of how he adjusts. Um, Graham saying in the chat, I feel like Salcedo is trying to do too much overthinking things. Another thing I don't like is that he's a capable passer, but we don't see him stretching the field with his passes. I don't like seeing him lay it off to Michael Bradley. Um, wholeheartedly agree, Graham. Like when he first came in here, I thought he was pegging passes very well. Um, albeit now those passes are going to have to be to some some young players. So I wonder if that's kind of changed his mentality a little bit. But I'm with you. I, I think having Salcedo distribute out of the back takes some pressure off of Bradley and opens up defenses a little bit more. Oh, uh, with that being said, one thing I noticed in the Cincinnati game at home at BMO Field on Saturday was. TFC players were hiding a bit too much. I saw countless times that they were sort of aligned on the back shoulder of Cincinnati's guys, the four TFC players. I'm talking Jimenez, uh, Pazuelo. I think you had Jaden Nelson there, and then whoever was playing along the right side at the time. They're all hiding from the ball. So we need to see more people coming coming and showing and wanting that ball, which is why I've, I've, I've liked Jaden Nelson because he's actually a guy who – sort of demands the ball a little bit on this team when I think that's kind of what we need up top. We kind of give away possession a little bit too cheaply. So having people on the ball who are talented can make plays with it. That's why I like um, some of those guys up top. But nevertheless, uh, I'm with you there, Graham. Uh, Ivan in the chat saying, 
people are hating on Salcedo because he has a DP tag. His center back partners are weak and he does much more than he can. Yeah, I think that relates to sort of what Graham was saying there. He might be trying to do a little bit too much, um, which is uh, which is kind of the consensus right now. So we'll see if he can kind of reel it in and bring back that sharpness that we kind of love seeing. I think we're all pretty hopeful here that, that Salcedo can sort of turn things around and be the center back that TFC kind of expect him to be and what we expect him to be, so... Yeah, and to kind of just sum back up what you were saying before, there's always going to be that easy option, whether it's an easy pass back or, you know, that short pass to an open man rather than, you know, pinging it down the field. And I think it's, it just comes with confidence. And that's, you know, what I mentioned about Petrasso. He has not been afraid to take on players when just running down the flank as opposed to just, you know, taking the easy pass back. And Agreed. It's, 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 it's very much a mental game in that regard. For sure. And I thought that last season, TFC were being a little bit too predictable with some of their plays. This year, you're seeing a little bit more. They're, they're, they're going forward in different ways, which is something I've liked, but I still think it can definitely be improved upon as sort of the rest of this Toronto FC team can, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times. It's, it's a very much so a work in progress. Um, but now let's shift things over to the injury report. It's a long one. It's a long one, man. As, as we, as we all saw um, yesterday against FC Cincinnati, we had quite a few players missing. Uh, first, let's start with Jonathan Osorio. He's going to have to undergo an MRI uh, on what appeared to be sort of a thigh quadricep issue. Um, I saw him actually leave practice just minutes after warm up began. Uh, I don't think he was he wasn't able to go through a full warm up walked off the pitch and, and Bob Bradley telling us yesterday that Ozo is going to be scheduled to undergo an MRI to kind of figure out what was going, what's going on with, uh, with this thigh area. Uh, Bradley kind of downplayed it a little bit. It doesn't seem like it's the, the biggest issue, but that being said, you never know with, with that muscle. Uh, so he's something tricky. He started feeling something on his outside. Then it moved to the middle so they're just trying to get to sort of what the bottom of the, the issue is. And I personally, I think it might be an issue that stemmed all the way back to, to last season because we know Oza missed some time with some sort of a similar injury in that area last year. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see kind of what comes to fruition there. I don't have an exact timeline from him yet, but we will try and get to that this week or if not this week, then the next week when we're back at the BMO training ground. Shifting to Chris Mavinga, another kind of an important injury. Uh, Bob Bradley didn't really go into detail on, on Mavinga when I asked him about the center back. Kind of said he just needed more information. But Mavinga, of course, was ruled out of, of yesterday's match. I tried asking if it was short term or long term. And once again, he kind of just said he needs more information to kind of analyze that. So we don't really have an exact timeline on Chris Mavinga, but it's been a it's been a rough year for for Mavinga, who obviously got off to that poor start, was substituted, had an injury, got back to the lineup. I thought he actually looked really good against Cincinnati when he did play, and then was forced off with what appeared to be sort of a leg injury there. So we'll try and get an update on Mavinga. Jaquil Marshall Ruddy, he's looking a little bit better 
He's, he's walking around. He's not quite back in training yet. I believe the original timeline was about eight to 10 weeks. I think we're about three and a half, four weeks into that timeline. So look for Mosheretti to get back into training perhaps near the end of this month and perhaps even be ready for game action in June, which is perfect about a month before Lorenzo and Senye arrive. So getting Marshall Ruddy back will be quite the boost for, for TFC. Noble Akello, he still isn't training with the club. Um, it seems like he's taken maybe a little bit longer than perhaps they would, what they initially expected. Uh, I was told at the time that Okello was a little bit behind Ralph Preso, but it seems like he's a little bit further back because, as I mentioned, he still isn't training. So... We'll keep an eye on, on Okello and see if we can get up an update on sort of his stats, which, I mean, if you consider Preso being suspended, Okello's out, Osorio's out. I wonder what happens in, in the middle of the park there. We might see some more uh, Stefan Yates or uh, maybe some Kosi Thompson in that 4-3-3. Yeah. But, or if he changes against Vancouver, I'm, I've been thinking about that all day. Like, how's he going to line up the midfield against Vancouver? Because we have Preso suspended. That's another man down. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Carlos Salcedo, Achara, both in health and safety protocols. There's n- never a timeline with with something like that. I think I don't think it can go longer than 14 days. But again, it, there's just unclarity there. Is there a possibility that either of those guys are available on Sunday? Perhaps. Uh, I just, I wouldn't have that information uh, right now. And I think, oh, Jacob Schaffelberg. That's the last one. So Jacob's, Jacob's close. Um, so I'm walking around the training ground the other day. He wasn't back in training on Tuesday. But I think he's probably the closest out of all those guys to returning. Will asking the chat, why has TFC had so much trouble with injuries since what seems an eternity? Is the medical staff to blame? I mean, it, I think they've been pretty good with injuries this season, Will. Um, aside from this last week, I mean, two of those guys are down to health and safety protocol, so there's not really much you can do there. It's a new medical staff that came in last season, so it's hard to exactly chalk it up. And I mean, we're not there; like, we don't know the, the ins and outs of kind of what they're looking at. None of us here are really doctors. It's kind of unfair to to put all of this on the medical staff. It just seems like a lot of this is happening kind of quite all at once. Uh, which is unideal for a team that doesn't really have too much depth right now. So I, I wouldn't really have an answer for you right now, Will, why uh, why all of this is piling up at once. But the good news is Salcedo and Achara will hopefully be good to go within the next week, week and a half. Okay. Um, I think that's everyone I covered on the injury report. Anthony, did I miss anyone? Yeah. No, you're all set. That was everyone. Uh, Okay, great. Hopefully there's no more new names added to that list ahead of Sunday. But shifting over to Sunday, Anthony, let's talk about that midfield. Because let's say TFC is without Ralph Preso, which, I mean, I don't think they will be because he obviously got that red card, which was a red card. Jonathan Osorio likely won't be back. 
Noble Ocala won't be back. Who do you start alongside Michael Bradley? Now, I would say if I were to play two in the midfield, or I guess two in the holding midfield role, I, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kosi Thompson in there. He's already shown mm-hmm. it somewhat this season, and I think he has the, I would say, the physicality to play in that role, and I guess the the composure as well from what we've seen. We saw it a bit yesterday when he was kind of taking command with that ten man team. I wouldn't be surprised seeing him in there, but I also wouldn't be surprised seeing Bradley maybe change up the system a little bit and play a bit more of an attacking, um, you know, an attacking minded team against, I would say, a vulnerable Vancouver side. So, again, we're we're still very much in a in a phase where Bradley can experiment with that team and see what works with the players he's got at his disposal. Um, I would love for Yates to get some more minutes as well. I thought he he showed glimpses of promise yesterday. And, um, yeah, as, much, as, as concerning as it is to have three first-team center midfielders out, I, I'm excited to see what Bradley does with the team out of um, you know, the first All-Canadian clash of the season. He, he's going to have to get creative. Uh, I think we saw in this game against Cincinnati, when you are down a few bodies in the midfield, he likes playing the three in the middle um, because they can kind of operate as sort of wider midfielders, and which is probably where they're more natural um positions are he had preso and thompson alongside bradley in the middle of the park yesterday and sort of what was a 4-3-3 i i man it's a it's a head scratcher because there's so many different ways it can go but at the same time you're also very limited because think about the players who can play those types of positions i think you're you're bang on there Kosi's probably the best shout if he decides to go three in the middle could a guy like DeAndre Kerr slide in and perhaps play a deeper, wider role for, for TFC? Is there These are going to be the questions I guess we're going to have to, to wonder. Because the other thing is you can't play five at the back right now because yeah, you have Salcedo and Mavinga out. So you're shorthanded there already, and then you're shorthanded in the midfield. So Bradley does need to play probably central midfield. It's a It's a tough one. So on that same note then, Anthony, do you expect TFC to go into Vancouver, a team that has just four points this season, that has just one win all year through eight matches? Do you, are you expecting three points on Sunday, or are you going to be a little bit more reserved about your expectations? I mean, on paper, as we talked about with our away form, that's you know something I've, a lot of I, myself and a lot of fans are probably starting to think about more when TFC go on the road, but. I, I think given the, the nature of the game, the first All-Canadian clash of the season, Toronto-Vancouver, I think the guys should be fired up for this one. And we talked about response earlier in the show. This is the game to respond. Like, no better no better state to do it than on Canadian soil at a rival ground. Uh, a depleted team, three points is the absolute morale booster this team needs, and I think the guys can go out and get it. I like the optimism. I, I do like it. Um... I'm actually a little bit more more reserved. I'll I'll be content with I'll be I'll be content with a draw. I I just think that midfield is in a really bad place, and then when you look along the back line, you're playing four reserve players. If you count Shane O'Neill as a reserve player, in terms of Patrasso, O'Neill, uh, McNaughton, and then Caden Chung, those guys are all second choice players when Toronto FC are fully healthy. So. 
if you couple that with the midfield, Bradley just went 90 minutes on Wednesday. How's his body going to be holding up in the middle of the park? That's that's kind of where where I'm at. And they had a lot of work to do, of course, as well uh, with with being down 10 men. So third game in eight days. I think Vancouver are going to be a lot more rested than this Toronto FC team. They're playing at home. I'd like to be optimistic, but to be honest, I'd probably be content with with a point in that match, which is is tough because Vancouver's been the worst team in Major League Soccer so far this year, but we saw what happened with TFC against Cincinnati, who was the worst team in the East heading into these last two matches. So cautiously optimistic. Let's let's chalk it up as. Um, One more thing before we move on to our final topic. I see Graham here in the chat asking, how do you rate our starting keeper right now? I'll toss that to you, Anthony. How do you, what would you make of Alex Bono so far this year? I think he's safe. I mean, as we mentioned before, he has one of the highest saves percentages in the league this season in in terms of number of saves. Uh, But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Bono guy. I, I think he's a, he's been a great player for the club. He's almost at 150 games. Uh, But I think this is a time where you can throw Quinn Westberg in there and see what he has to prove. You don't want a player to get comfortable, especially, through a bad run of form and, you know, in terms of goals conceded last clean sheet was when against in Colorado last season in the nil nil draw. Yeah. So you can't get complacent after going through games, game in game out conceding at least a goal a game. So I honestly, I was thinking about this as well today. I wouldn't be surprised if Westberg starts in goal against Vancouver just to kind of shake things up and, you know, provide a bit of a spark for Bono to kind of, get his form back. And again, I think just keeping clean sheets is kind of the name of the game now for him. And it will be for Westberg if he comes in. Yeah. Um, I was actually surprised Westberg didn't start this game against Cincinnati. Uh, I thought with, with the game in what, five days after their last match, I thought he'd be given an opportunity. I think Bonos had actually a pretty solid season overall despite the amount of goals that have been conceded. I thought he made some really big saves for this team. Uh, he's impressed me in terms of his shot-stopping ability, his ability to come out and collect uh, corners, crosses, stuff like that. His distribution, in my opinion, is still pretty dreadful. Um, of course, that's going to be when you're contrasting that against Quentin Westberg's distribution. Of course, you're always going to look pretty bad in that regard. I just... Mm-hmm. I think a team that likes to keep the ball, like Bob Bradley's team, they they ideally, I guess you you like to have a, a goalkeeper that can that can keep the ball. Um, but I don't think Bono has played well enough to keep Quinton Westberg on the sideline this long. I think these guys are both capable of being number one goalies in MLS, and there should be at least. Um, at least one start here down the stretch for, for Q who, you know, he's, he's, he's a great veteran for the club. Um, always a great, great locker room guy. Um, him and Bono see them in training every day. They're, they're always in good spirits and whatnot, but he's also like a heck of a goalie he's, he's proven to be in the past. So I think he deserves at least an opportunity here because Bono hasn't stood on his head by any means to sort of win over, went over the goal. So I I like what you said. There needs to be sort of that healthy competition to kind of both push both guys. And you don't want Bono to get a little bit too complacent there in goal. 
Um, so I'm with you there, man. Yeah. I think uh, I think us and I think a lot of people in the chat right now would agree that that Q probably deserves a start. Maybe we'll see it on Sunday in Vancouver. I think okay, like last said, thing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's really quickly. I've, we always say it's a good problem to have to have two starting keepers, and I think we you know we need to start utilizing the good part of that problem, which is you know giving Q some minutes and letting I guess Bono mentally know that you know your position is potentially at risk and you know Westbrook comes into the team keeps one clean sheet likely he's going to start the next game and so on and so forth so that healthy competition is I think what they need in that goalkeeper position right now yeah it's clear that Bono is the number one guy and I don't think giving one start to Quinton Westbrook here and there will change any of that but perhaps it refreshes Bono a little bit where you know, he sees something maybe he didn't see during the game when you're watching on the bench. Like just little things like that he can pick up on um, in order to make him perhaps a better goalie here down the stretch or just just that rest, just to sort of reset and re-energize him because um, he's faced a lot of shots this season. I believe he's faced probably the most shots in MLS uh, through the first 10 games of the year. So he's been really busy. Uh, that's a testament to how poor TFC's defense has been. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with you. Let's, let's freshen up a little bit, but moving on to our last topic on our agenda, something I'm not really looking forward to, but I think it's important that we touch on it. Important. Seattle Sounders winning the CONCACAF champions league last night. Convincingly, they got the job done. Of course they became the first MLS team in our generation at least to win the the CONCACAF Champions League. Anthony, salty or happy? It, I mean it's tough not to be salty given that we are all Toronto FC fans and you know we just got flashbacks of 2018 during and after the game. But I mean you gotta think what how good this is for MLS and not only the fact that they've kind of broken broken the duck at last, but MLS is gonna be represented on the world stage whenever and wherever the next Club World Cup happens. And you think about the possibility of an MLS team going up against uh, I guess it's gonna be either uh, Real Madrid or Liverpool, which is a very exciting prospect. So I'm I'm happy for the league itself to finally get that representation that it has deserved over the last several years. And again, testament to the Sounders for obviously making history. And yeah, as, as, a, as a TFC fan, it is tough to kind of give those congratulations. But you got to think how good this is for, um, you know, for MLS and the league itself. And hopefully for the future, that's going to drive teams forward in that competition. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue that Seattle's, argue against the fact that Seattle's the greatest MLS franchise uh, of all time right now they've won everything the last about seven years or so they've managed to say consistently good and as all of us who have watched tfc very closely we understand firsthand how tough it is to do that and for them to kind of keep the majority of their core together en route to finally getting over the hump here and winning the 2022 mls cup i mean that speaks volumes about sort of what that franchise has been able to accomplish. So you tip your hat to that, but at the same time, man, I'm salty as hell. Like I scrolling through my timeline last night. I hated it. 
because everyone was so happy for Seattle, but at the same time, like, man, this should have been TFC. This should have been TFC. They were, I mean, we don't need to relive how close they were to making that happen (laughs) back in 2018, but I'm sure there's a few guys within that TFC locker room that were on that team in 2018 that were kicking themselves last night as well because you see how happy and how joyous the, the rest of the league was for someone getting over that hump, and I know TFC have had that ambition when we had Bill Manning on our show uh, man, it feels like forever now, but it was about a year ago. He told us the one trophy that he really wanted to win was that CONCACAF Champions League trophy. And just to see Seattle, who has been kind of our arch nemesis these past couple of years, to, to, for them to be the team to do that. That uh, salty about that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> In the long run, the floodgates are open now, really. Like it, it's happened. And first step, get back in the competition and then, you know, see where we go from there. And, with some exciting arrivals incoming, hopefully more. Um, who's to say, you know, next year, you never know. A lot of people are saying Seattle also had a really easy route to winning uh, this, this champ or the Champions League. Um, the, I know semifinals, they obviously beat New York City FC, so facing the MLS team in the semifinals is obviously ideal. One of them goes to the finals, and then Puma's in the final. I mean, they're like 11th or 12th in the table. That's like TFC and Club Leon last year where TFC faced Club Leon, who were supposed to be the champions, but you look at the table the regular season, they were like mid-table. Um, so there is that. A bit of solace in that. Maybe the next MLS team to do it, hopefully TFC, goes through a little bit of a harder path, a more authentic path to winning that Champions League. But I'm not sure if that taste of victory will ever be the same as it was that what Seattle just did, because, you know, they represent the whole league in, in doing so, something that teams have wanted to do for for well over a decade now. Um, Will in the chat saying, I think this shows that MLS is quickly catching up to Liga MX. LAFC and TFC came so close, and now Seattle is winning it. Yeah, yeah, bang on. Uh, LAFC, obviously, last season, um, coming ever so close. Coached by Bob Bradley, by the way. So maybe he still has some, some extra motivation in him to get over the hump here with, with Toronto FC, because like Bill Manning, I think that's a trophy all of us really want, especially after the way that 2018 went. But Anthony, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. We've gone, we've gone an hour, which is pretty impressive just between the two of us, especially considering we just had to talk about uh, two poor, poor games against FC Cincinnati (laughs) Um, this weekend, man, you're going to be in Vancouver. I will be in Vancouver. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be in the box for the game. Uh, my first Toronto FC away day. Very excited for that. And yeah, since since we're live, if any any Toronto FC fans are going to be at the game, please slide into my DMs because I do have something planned for Waking the Red socials. If you guys want to get involved, so yeah, um, I'm sure I'll, my Twitter will be tagged somewhere. But uh, yeah, please reach out if you're going to be at the game and if you want to get involved with Waking the Red stuff. Plug your Twitter, man. What's your Twitter handle? Anthony Corey for. There you go. You guys heard it here. Anthony Corey Four. make sure you guys go give them a follow. You'll be getting exclusive coverage from BC Place. I believe that's what it's still called, BC Place in Vancouver. As Anthony's the dedicated journalist that he is, he's making the trip over to Vancouver. Hopefully, he's going to be covering a Toronto FC win there. Hopefully, we are back next week. I believe we'll be at 3.30 p.m. again next week. I will confirm that time with the boys, Mitch and Jeff. But 
we appreciate everybody in the chat who is chiming in with us. We got into actually, I actually think we got into some really good conversations there. We did. Um, some important topics that we did. I think we needed to address, um, you know, the ups and downs of the season right now we're in the downs and hopefully when we come back next week, we will be talking about the ups, but that's all from us for this week. Make sure you guys go like subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you guys listen and we love doing this with you guys. So until next week, on behalf of Anthony, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Mitch, I'm Michael Singh and see you guys next week. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.